welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. I'm Taryn Aish, Managing Editor of Digital Content, here with my co-host, Scott Rutherford, Head of Digital Operations and Marketing. Hi. Training industry research has found that one of the biggest challenges facing learning leaders is measuring the effectiveness of their training. And so that's the focus of this episode, the role of measurement in corporate training. Today on the Business of Learning podcast, we're talking about measurement in L&D. And here today to help us with this challenge is Kevin M. Yates. Kevin is a fact finder for learning and development. As the Sherlock Holmes of L&D, he uses facts, evidence, and data to answer the question, did training work? His work is focused on using measurement to show training, learning, and talent development's impact on performance, behavior, and organization goals. He's also a contributor to trainingindustry.com. Kevin, thanks for joining us today. Wow, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Boy, do I sound good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we try. Uh, So Kevin, can you start us (laughs) off a little bit by uh, just giving us a little background about yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I like to say, Scott and Taryn, that I grew up in L&D. I've been in L&D now for, gosh, about 20 years. Um, and my career in learning and development started at a small community uh, bank on the south side of Chicago, where I had a role as a trainer, a day-to-day facilitator. So that was one of those, you know, boots on the ground roles where, you know, almost eight hours a day, I was in front of a class and training on bank uh, software and customer service. And then that ultimately led to a role in instructional design. Uh, That led to a role in curriculum and development. Um, And then I moved into a role of leadership where I was managing uh, trainers and instructional designers. Um, That opened up to a global learning role where I had the opportunity to spent some time in Bangalore, India, uh, setting up training academies, Uh, came back to Chicago and then started working with learning solutions and learning technology. Um, And then about three quarters of the way, I guess, into my career, uh, I was introduced to this idea that you can measure the impact of training and more specifically, that you can measure the impact of training on people's performance and organization goals. Um, And so that was, gosh, that was maybe six or seven or eight years ago. Um, And that was a game changer for me. It literally gave me reason to reshift and refocus my career um, very narrowly and very specifically in the area of measurement for learning development, and then more specifically data and uh, analytics for learning and development as well. So that's where I've been focused uh, for the past few years. I, I think I have found my niche, if you will. Uh, I am just really um, enjoying the opportunity I have to be a voice in the L&D community for the idea that we can measure the impact of learning, that we can use fact-based evidence to answer the question, did training work? Um, and so I, I think that I have found the right spot for, for me and for my career and my work. Certainly seems like it. So, Kevin, when we talk about measurement in learning and development, uh, what exactly are we measuring and why? Um, And and what are some of the common forms of course measurement? You know, we talk a lot about smile sheets and uh, what are some of the other forms and and what are their pros and cons? Yeah, that's that's, that's a great question. And so for me, you know, to to answer that question, right? So what are we measuring and why? 
Uh, and, and I think it's pretty simple. Um, we are measuring the extent to which our training and our learning solutions are changing anything at all, right? So it's, it's measuring and determining extent to which our training and our learning solutions are actually changing people's behavior, uh, changing their performance, and changing their actions. And then it's measuring the extent to which a change in behavior, performance, and actions are actually impacting their performance in a way that helps them achieve business goals or organization goals. So we want to take a look at the link between learning, the link between performance, and the link between actual impact on an organization goal or um, a strategy, right? So we want to determine the extent to which learning may be helping people execute in their role in a way that helps them execute on a particular business strategy. Um, and, and so that's the why. I mean, simply put, we're doing it because we need insight on the extent to which our work, our effort, our resources are actually producing a change or actually making an impact. And, and so for me, when I am measuring at the highest level, um, I'm really taking a look at the extent to which there is metrics and data in the business that shows how people are performing. Um, and there are different ways to get at that. Um, we can take a look at actual business performance metrics, and we can take a look at causation and correlation that we can show between performance um, and learning and training experiences that people have had. So there you know, Terry, you asked, like, what are we measuring? Um, you know, what are some specific measures that we're looking at? That, that's just one example. There are so many different measures that we can look at. Um, and what we measure is, and how we measure, is really driven by where we expect to see an impact. Uh, because you can't measure the same thing the same way um, over and over. You really have to be looking at where you expect to see an impact and then take a look at what measures will determine the extent to which that impact was made. Um, you know, and, and you reference smile sheets and smile sheets are, are kind of getting a bum rap. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that that's because of the traditional kinds of questions that smile sheets have asked, right? So the traditional smile sheet asks, did you like the instructor? Did you like the classroom? And did you like the food, right? <laughs> well, that won't give you any insight into the extent to which you can expect to see a performance change. So I've developed about, I think it's nine or 10 questions that you can use to estimate the extent to which you can expect to see an impact on people's behavior and performance based on their learning experience. So it's not that smile sheets are bad. It's just that smile sheets aren't always or have it traditionally ask the right kinds of questions that get at the right type of data that provides insight or that informs decisions. D does that make sense? Yeah. And I, well, I think what you're, what you're saying, if I'm, if I can interpret a little bit and I, I'm going to lay a little bit of my own observation uh, from, yeah. from folks I've spoken with on sure. this, this topic too, but it's, it's the relationship of, of, of um, how you're measuring and what you're measuring and how those interrelate because um there is the smile sheet is, is is used as an example, or at least I've seen it used as an example of easy measurement. It's an easy measure. It's 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 uh, um, sort of you know easily administered. It's easily it's easily compiled, yeah. um, but it's not necessarily meaningful. 
on the other side. So, um, you know, that, that's the balance, isn't it? To, to come up with measurement that's both meaningful and isn't too difficult to, to assemble or to execute. And, and that it's not too burdensome to the person from whom you need to collect that data, right? So again, right, it's, right. it's not that smile sheets are a bad thing, um, but you just need to use people's time wisely and you need to take advantage of that limited time to get the right kind of data. So, you know, again, I'm thinking we should stay away from some of those gratuitous questions that really won't provide the type of insight that informs decisions and allows us to act. But, you know, again, to your point, we should be using that precious time that we're going to ask of people to give, you know, in that three to five minute survey or however else it is we're pushing that out to ask the kinds of questions that are going to inform decisions and provide, provide insights. And for me, I like to use that time to collect data that gives me insight into the extent to which we can expect a change in behavior and performance and actions. And so the types of questions that I ask are the ones that give us just that. Does that make sense? It does. I, I'm going to ask you maybe to be a little controversial here, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting that in quotes. I'm all for that. Uh, is there, is there, uh, does it matter to assess whether learners liked the program or does it does that is that really not important is it more important to uh, focus in on uh, metrics that can really help the business leaders understand uh, whether the program was effective is, is there is there a role for a happiness score yeah so so I'm going to be controversial and in my own view is not necessarily right I, I think that for me at the end of the day it's important to determine the extent to which content and experience impacts or has the potential to impact a person's change in behavior and performance. So, you know, there might be a correlation there where, you know, if someone doesn't quote unquote like something, I'm using air quotes, um, that might influence the extent to which there will be a change. But, you know, I think that you have to separate like from expectations. So, you know, if, if the expectations for the purpose of the training and learning solution is made clear, right, if that is clearly expressed, so that those who are engaged in that training and that learning solution have very clear ideas about its purpose and its intent, then I think that that's where you want to be looking at the extent to which there's connection with that and not so much the extent to which there's a connection between whether or not someone likes something. Because at the end of the day, there are performance expectations that organization have, organizations have of people and teams. So, you know, that, uh, that whole idea of liking something no, I'm not so sure that uh, that it is as important as content resonating with people in a way where they can see the connection between it and what the expectation is for how they are expected to use that training experience and that learning experience to impact their behavior and their performance and their actions. Did, did that answer your question? Does it make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so, so moving to uh, another big, uh, I guess, I don't want to say buzzword, but um, popular uh, idea right now uh, with training measurement, can, can we boil down learning programs to return on investment, to ROI? Um, and, and if not, how do we demonstrate the value of a learning program to the business in terms that the management team will understand that they really go beyond ROI or, or just dollars and cents? That, that is an awesome question. And, and when I talk about return on investment, ROI, I always like to begin the conversation by contextualizing what I mean when I say ROI, because it means different things to different people. And so when I speak about ROI, return on investment, 
I am contextualizing that to mean the monetary value gain or loss as a result of an investment in people's talent and people's development. So I'm talking dollar to dollar, right? So the first thing that I think we want to think about is how far you want to go with measuring the financial ROI of uh, a training solution or a training program. And I would say it really depends on the extent to which that solution or that program is visible. Um, and the extent to which it is strategically connected uh, to a business goal um, and the extent to which that program is visible in the organization. So for those programs that are highly visible, that are expensive, and that have a direct link to achieving a business goal or executing a business strategy, I believe it's important for us to measure the return on investment, the ROI uh, for that particular training experience or learning solution. I don't think it's realistic to expect that we should be measuring the ROI for every learning solution and training solution that comes out of L&D. It's not practical. Um, and quite frankly, we don't have the resources to do that. But if the organization is heavily invested in a particular training program or learning solution, um, if it is expected to impact a large number of people, and you know, again, if it's highly visible in the organization, I believe that we have the responsibility to show the return on investment, the monetary return on investment um, for those types of programs that are in the business. And so then when we are able to identify the return on investment, you know, not only does it show our impact, but we are also then speaking the language of the business, right? And so, you know, other parts of the business are already being held accountable for return on investment. And again, I mean the monetary return on investment. So I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that learning and development should be doing the same thing. Though, though I'm, yeah, on the topic of ROI um, and, and looking at it from the perspective of, of a business owner, um, there are parts of a business where you could look at ROI uh, in, in an immediate term. You could, you can, immediately know um, what you're, uh, if you're, if you're doing a, a point of sale promotion in a retail uh, uh, circumstance, you can understand what the ROI of, 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 a, of a two week um, um, point of sale promotion would, would mm -hmm. be. Um, I, I'm wondering if you agree with what I think about uh, ROI and L&D, <laughs> to, to uh, use a mess of acronyms there, return uh, <laughs> on investment in learning and development is is it's a time function as well. Behavior change is a time function, and you know I don't know if it's possible for for a training program. You know, or let's take it to the extreme. You can't measure, or can you, ROI from a single course? Isn't it something that has to be measured uh, in performance change over time? You you are so spot on, and I think that what you're hitting on there, Scott, is a way in which we need to manage expectations of the business, um, the organizations where we serve, and we need to manage expectations for ourselves. Because as you said so eloquently and so accurately, uh, the essence of what we're talking about that comes out of a training or a learning experience is a change in behavior. And if you're looking for signs or evidence or facts that show the extent to which changes in behavior and performance have impacted some type of business goal, you know that's going to happen over time. So what I am seeing... Uh, and what I have learned from my experience is that if you want to really see that change and you want to see how that change has made an impact, you know, you're really talking, you know, nine to 12 months post experience. And that's even, you know, 
keeping the idea that the performance is changing and the performance uh, is ongoing after that, you know, learning experience or that training experience. So you are absolutely right in that, you know, more often than not, you know, you're not going to see an immediate return on investment. Um, that's usually going to happen over time. Now, you know, the caveat to that would be those instances where depending on industry um, and depending on the work in that industry, you might see some, re- some immediate return on investment, right? So for example, if you are in the service industry or the manufacturing industry and you have employees going through a training program that shows them how to execute on a performance uh, or rather a process, um, you know, you can see that pretty immediately, right? Because if it's a rote process on which somebody is being trained and it's, you know, a repeated process, you can, you can measure the extent to which they have that process down right. But when you're talking about some of those higher level um, performance type situations where you might be talking about leadership or even some types of sales uh, training, yeah, you, you, you're, you're so right, Scott. You, you, you're talking, you know, six, nine, 12 months to really measure the real impact and measure the real return on investment, the ROI. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think that also sort of uh, hints at one of the challenges in reporting ROI because um, you know, one of the reasons that, that any business function wants to focus on ROI is you're fighting for your place at the table at budget time. And so if we're talking about um, a measurement cycle that extends to 9, 12, 18, 24 months, well, we're talking multiple budget cycles and, and, you know, at some point you have to build the trust with management, don't you, to say, well, look, we have confidence what we're doing is going to bear fruit in the two-year, three-year, five-year time frame um, so that there's the, the support and patience to allow it to, to mature. You're right. And, and it's also a matter of building trust um, and showing evidence for approach. So here's what I mean by that, right? You are spot on in that those cycles don't always line up with when we expect to see that change. But we're talking about a culture change. We're talking about a change in mindset. And we're talking about a change in the way that we work. So if over time you are repeatedly using credible, reliable methodologies that show return on investment for the impact of your training and your learning programs, then you have shown and demonstrated to the organization that you are working in a way that is aligned to how the business is working with using ROI. So what I mean by that, Scott, is, you know, if you are initially in that ROI journey, in that measurement journey, you know, it might feel as though there's a disconnect between the budget time cycle and the time for which you are able to show impact. But if you are continuously doing that over time, if you are an organization or if you're an L&D organization that is repeatedly using ROI methodologies to show impact and provide insights on the extent to which your training and your learning solutions are actually producing return on investment, if you're engaged in that over a period of years, then you are then building trust, right? And so then when those budget cycles come up, you will have already demonstrated the way in which you are measuring ROI. So it might not be as difficult to get those dollars because you've already shown to the organization that you are diligent um, in the way in which you are calculating ROI and the way in which you are showing ROI. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to take maybe three steps back because I, I, I was listening as you were talking about your, your own career path. And, 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 and it occurred to me that, uh, you know, your 
entry to learning and development uh, is, you know, I've, the, it's a trajectory that, I, that I've, I've seen and, and heard before. Um, and, and I'm wondering if, if, there's, if there's anything we can learn from that to say, because, you know, learning leaders, if we wanted to paint with a very broad brush, typically would cite measurement as, as a challenge, as, a, as an area that, uh, you know, that they, that they maybe struggle with a little bit. Um, and is, is that, do you think, related to the, the fact that, uh, you know, going into a learning or in a, into a training uh, a career path, the, the 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 maybe the, the business savvy or the business focus or the or there are, there's a skill set that's required for measurement that, that doesn't necessarily get um, uh, that you're not prepped for when you start the start, when you're starting your first position. You're absolutely right, and so for me, um, you know, when I think about it, this idea that we measure impact and that impact is our deliverable is a totally new concept. Um, so again, if you think about the fact that I've been in L&D now for about 25 years, you know, I go back pretty far. Um, and I remember at the beginning of my career, there were never any conversations or thought about impact being the deliverable. Uh, the deliverable was the training program. The deliverable was the class. The deliverable was the e-learning or the deliverable was the PowerPoint that the facilitator was going to use to deliver the class. So that was the deliverable. We never had any conversations about impact being the deliverable. And if you're going to know what impact is, then you have to measure it. So on some levels, Scott, um, measurement is not in our DNA um, because it's just not been what we consider to be what we're producing, right? And, and that's okay because there's a shift and I'm excited to see the shift. Uh, but your point here is that that acumen um, that expertise, that skill, that capability has not traditionally been part of what we've been expected to do. So what I believe we're seeing now is a shift. Um, and it's interesting because I started doing research a couple of years ago, taking a look at the evolution of this new role that has emerged in learning and development teams. So now you're seeing things like learning analysts, learning data scientists, um, you know, learning measurement manager. You're seeing all these new types of roles that are popping up that were just not part of the L&D organization, you know, gosh, like even as recently as 10 years ago. So I think that as, as a community, as an L&D community, what we are beginning to recognize is that there is a need for a unique and very specific skill set within our L&D teams that is focused on measurement, that is focused on data and focused on analytics. Now, to be sure, I believe that as, as a community and as, a, as an L&D organization, we need to be data literate. But to expect, um, say, the instructional designer to devote his or her time, say, oh, I don't know, 75% to instructional design and 25% to measurement, you know, I believe that that's unfair um, because the uh, the ability to measure impact is an art, a science, and a skill. Um, and I think that you need time to develop that art, that science, and that skill. And I also think that you need time and opportunity to focus on it. So the essence of what I'm saying here is that I believe that it is important that we have roles embedded on L&D teams that are narrowly and specifically focused on measurement. I think it's important that L&D organizations um, commit headcount to having minimally one role on the team that can help answer the question, did training work with facts, evidence, and data? 
So what I'm saying is the, um, the rise um, in some of our biggest, most recognizable brands and even some smaller organizations where these L&D organizations and teams are now creating roles, recruiting for roles um, that are focused on measurement because measurement has not been traditionally a part of skill um, and capability requirements for L&D professionals. Kevin, you wrote an article on this topic. Um, gosh, it's been a couple of years ago now. Uh, there's a data anal- analyst on the L&D team. Um, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think there are more data analysts on the L&D team now than there were two years ago when you wrote that article? I, I do, Taryn. And that, that's, actually, that's a great connection to my last point. Because when I wrote that article, I was inspired to write it because as I was just taking a look at job postings, and doing um, you know, different types of, uh, of research, I was beginning to see these, these roles emerge in L&D with these titles that were just unheard of, right? You know, some of those titles that I mentioned earlier, like learning uh, data analysts and learning measurement specialists, I had never seen those <laughs> types of roles before. Um, so yeah, when I wrote that article um, two years ago, I was inspired to do so because of the emergence of those roles that I was starting to see. And I would say that that, you know, that trend is continuing now two years later. Um, and I expect it to, to, to grow even more as we grow, as we go forward, because I expect that more learning and development teams will begin to see that it's important and valuable for us to answer the question to training work with uh, analytics and data and facts. All right. Um, so can we uh, get a little bit into the weeds here? Do you have an example of, um, from, you know, from your work maybe, of how uh, measuring a learning program has led to uh, improved support from senior leadership for continued investment in learning and development? Yeah, and actually, I'm going to answer that question by going in an opposite direction that I think will actually answer that question. So, so, so here's what I mean. There was... Um, there was a time when I worked in a business where within that business, there were five separate business units, right? And so the business wanted to go to market as one business unit, which meant that each business unit would have to sell the other business units, products and services. So the first response to that was that we needed a training solution that was focused on product sales and product knowledge. So we put that sales training program into place in the business, um, spent quite a few dollars on it (laughs) and quite a few people, right? And when I took a look at the performance data for those individuals who were part of that program, I didn't see any changes in performance. When I took a look at client engagement scores, and didn't see any changes in client engagement. And then the bottom line, when I took a look at sales data, I didn't see any changes in sales data. So the initial facts, evidence, and data said that that training program made zero impact, right? So that's a little scary, right? As a training professional, that's a little scary. Um, and then kind of going back to what you and I were talking about, Scott, there was zero ROI for that. There was no return on investment because there was no change. So after taking a look at sales data, uh, performance data, client data, and just seeing that no behaviors change, no performance change, that, you know, really that training program made zero difference. Um, I then needed to go back and collect some qualitative data. And so after going back 
and doing a few focus group and a few interviews and, and having some conversations and collecting that qualitative data, what I discovered is that the business had not changed its P&L structure, which meant that if I were in business unit A and I sold business unit B's uh, products and services, I would not get revenue recognition for that, right? So I was only being held accountable for the, um, the sales number that I needed to hit for my respective organization. So I was able to take the qualitative data that came from the interviews and the conversations, and I was able to marry that with the quantitative data that came from the performance data out of the business, um, the sales data from the business, and the client engagement data. And I was able to tell a story, and I was able to take that story back to senior leadership to say, the money we invested had zero impact on sales, on people's performance and client engagement. And here's why. Um, we didn't see a change because what was not done prior to this sales training program was conversations around changing the revenue recognition system. So my response, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that we could train until the cows came home. But if we did not change the revenue recognition system, we would never see a change in, in behavior, performance, uh, sales, um, and impact in client engagement. So, you know, that, that was a round of, that, that, that was a different story to tell, turn other than the one that you asked. But the, the, what I wanted to do here was just demonstrate how you can use fact-based evidence to tell stories and tell them in a way that are compelling. So it wasn't me going to senior leadership saying, you know, I don't think that this program worked and here's why. It was me saying, here's what the data says. Here's the story. Oh, and by the way, here's my recommendation for how we can really see um, a shift and how we can really achieve the goal that we have here of increasing revenue, improving client engagement and increasing sales. Did, and and it's a way sense? to act as a consultant to the business too, uh, rather than just just staying in your lane uh, and looking only at learning and development. You're saying, well, look, learning and development can do many things, but it can't do everything on its own. Man, you, you are so right, Scott. And to be, be honest with you, I don't really see myself as, uh, as a trainer or a quote unquote L&D person, air quotes again. I really see myself as a performance consultant to the organization that is using training and learning solutions to help improve people's performance. So I see myself as a performance consultant first, and it just so happens that um, what I have in my bag of tricks, <laughs> if you will, are training and learning solutions. Well, Kevin, thanks for your time. Really appreciated you uh, uh, spending a few minutes with us here on the podcast. I wanted to give you a chance if there's any final thoughts or advice you have for other folks who are in L&D and maybe are um, just, you know, feel like they're starting up the hill toward, toward yeah. uh, measurement. What, where, you know, what, what advice do you have? Yeah, so, so here's my advice. Uh, my advice is focus on performance first. Focus on a, a change in behavior a change in action, a change of performance as being the deliverable, as being the outcome, as being the result for your training and your learning solutions. And so my mantra um, and my guiding principle is find at least one thing about a person's behavior or performance that you can attribute to training and learning and let that lead to the facts about impact. 
Great. Kevin M. Yates, the Sherlock Holmes of Learning and Development. Thanks for joining us today. This has been an awesome discussion. Thank you both. Thank you. Uh, for more information on this topic, we've got lots of great content on trainingindustry.com. Uh, don't forget to check out the podcast episode page for this episode. Episode 19, we'll be linking to some great resources there as well, trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. And we do hope you're enjoying listening to the Business of Learning. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you are, please uh, continue, uh, consider uh, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. And make sure you subscribe uh, for notifications of upcoming episodes at Training Industry. Thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.